Well, when Kate and I started dating, I lived in Wisconsin and she lived in Shakopee. So we had a somewhat long distance relationship. And that limited the amount of time we were able to spend together. And um, I ended up driving out here about once a month for a couple of years almost. It seemed like a decade, but every month I would drive out here and spend the weekend here with her family and with her. And we would set aside a portion of time to have what we called our state of the relationship address. And this monthly address, this monthly check-in, was a time when we would reflect on the previous month. We'd think about what went well in our relationship, we'd think about some of the challenges that we had or, or maybe frustrations we had with each other, and then we'd talk about what's the next step of our relationship going to look like? What should we be aiming for? We came to really value those state of the relationship addresses because it allowed us to maintain a vibrant relationship and it allowed us to keep tracking in the same direction as we celebrated the past and we looked forward to the future. As we enter 2024, it's time for us to have something like a state of the relationship address for our church, a state of the church address where we consider where we've been and where we're going. We need to look back on the history of our church, a history that began 59 years ago this year. We need to look back on that unexpected churn five years ago with the initiation of a church revitalization effort and a history that was most recently marked with the celebration of our first service in this building just two years ago. We've been on a long journey. And it seems somewhat longer than it actually has been when we reflect on the fact that we've only really been here as Resurrection Church for two years. But given these marks along the way, I think it's time for us to review and recommit to our mission as a church. And that's what this Mission Refresh sermon series is intended to do. It's intended to review our revitalization and replanting effort in this present sermon, and then in the following sermons, to recommit ourselves to our church's mission to glorify our triune God, and to grow as followers of Christ, and to go into our community serving our neighbors and sharing the good news about King Jesus. So over these next few weeks, we're going to have a non-typical kind of sermon series. Normally we study through a book of the Bible and we're still committed to doing that on the regular. That, that will normally happen. But for the next month or so, we're going to consider our mission as, our, as a church and in this sermon to look back on what's already happened and to position ourselves to enter into 2024, recommitted by God's grace by God's grace, to see continued growth in our assembly. So I want to begin by considering the necessity of church planting and revitalization, and then move on to talk about the process of revitalization, and then to consider the future of revitalization here at Resurrection Church. I'm going to try to accomplish a lot today, so hang with me, but I, I think it will be helpful for us. So first, let's consider the necessity of church revitalization and replanting. I think that church revitalization and replanting is 
necessary, but you might be confused when I use these terms. So when I talk about revitalization, when I use the term church revitalization, I'm referring to the process of leading a dying church back to spiritual health. So revitalization, that effort is leading a dying church back to spiritual health. And then when I talk about church replanting, I'm talking about relocating a church and reestablishing it in a different building or in a different community with a different name and identity. So these two processes, revitalization and replanting, sometimes often go together, sometimes they don't. They did go together for us. So it's a process then that we've been on and it's a process that I believe is necessary for the health of the global church. Why is it necessary? Practically speaking, church revitalization is needed because there are dead and dying churches. Dead and dying churches exist and there are basically two options for these churches. They can cease to exist or they can consciously pursue revitalization and emerge with new life and a new identity and a recommitment to the mission of the church. Church revitalization is necessary because of the bare reality that dying and sick churches exist. And they need to experience a transition from decline and death to growth and sustainability. There are a lot of reasons that churches decline and die. You know, some churches are faithful and, and they don't ever experience fruitfulness and they end up closing. And we trust the Lord with those things. But often churches die and face decline because they've lost spiritual vitality, they've lost gospel witness, or even biblical fidelity, and they need spiritual resuscitation so that they can come back to life. So why is church revitalization necessary? Because churches are dying. Now, we hear rightly promises in the New Testament that Jesus made that he will build his church, but he doesn't promise that every single local church is going to survive. Yet, we believe that for the church to grow and, and be healthy, local churches need to survive, and so we need to see them revitalized. Our default position, whenever we see a dying church, should be to pray and to work to see that church come back to health. The second, church revitalization is necessary because it's a pattern of biblical church growth. So the biblical witness is that the apostles in Jesus were concerned for dying and declining churches. In fact, most of the letters in the New Testament are written to churches that are in decline and to churches that lack spiritual health. So whether that's the church at Corinth that was so deeply divided and infiltrated with sin, or the seven churches that are addressed at the start of Revelation, the majority of the New Testament is written to churches in spiritual decline. If Jesus and the apostles we're concerned about churches in decline, you and I should be concerned about churches in decline. So I want to suggest that the biblical New Testament pattern is for Christians to work towards the health of sick and dying churches. And for that reason, church revitalization is a necessity. 
And when we care for sick and dying churches, we actually begin to image and emulate our Savior who came not for the healthy, but for the sick, who came not for those who thought that they were righteous, but for those who knew that they were in need of spiritual health. So when we look at sick and weak and declining churches, we should adopt the attitude of our Savior and pursue them, seeking to minister to them and bring about their health and vitality. But third, I'm also convinced that revitalizing dying churches is the most strategic way to see regional and global church health. I'm convinced that if we can see the churches that are in decline and churches that are dying and churches that have abandoned biblical faithfulness come back to spiritual life, that is the primary way that we will see the gospel flourish in our Twin City area and across the world. When we think about the health of the global church and evangelism and spreading the gospel, there are basically two main approaches that I've seen people take. The first approach is to invest in strong institutions and to pour into well-established and flourishing churches. So there's sometimes a movement just to grow as big of a church as possible with as much financial and ministry power as possible. And and the idea is that if we can have some all-star elite churches scattered in every metro area, then we're going to reach that whole area for the gospel. I think that those churches can do a lot of things that smaller churches could never do, and we should be thankful for them. But at the same time, I wonder if those large and expansive churches end up getting caught up in what it takes to keep an institution running and lose the capacity to really bring about spiritual health and flourishing in the way that's depicted in the New Testament. A second approach that many take is to look at any region and and to pursue gospel flourishing in that region by planting as many churches as possible as quickly as possible, like scattering seeds in a field and hoping that some of them stick. And it's basically like a cost-benefit analysis that's run where you say, if we plant 50 churches, we know that 50% of them will be closed in the next couple of years, but 50% will still be around for for longer than that. So let's invest all our resources into just starting new churches as quickly as we can. And that's sort of been the approach of uh, different denominations and church planting agencies. And I, I think there are great benefits to that. I think even as we look at the Twin Cities, we see many churches that have been started in the last five to 10 years, and not all of them have survived, but some have, and God is doing great things through planting new churches. And in fact, in 2017 and 2018, my wife and I were prayerfully considering whether we should work to plant a church. And we were meeting with Josh and Shannon Huber and discussing the possibility of starting another church in the South Metro by planting a church and seeing the gospel go forward through a church plant. But as we began to scope out areas in the Twin City where there, where there were no faithful gospel preaching churches, where we, wanted, we looked at different towns and areas of the South Metro looking for gaps where there were no churches that could proclaim the gospel. And guess what? We couldn't find any. There are churches all over the South Metro. 
And what we realized when we started to list the churches in every community, that there were faithful gospel preaching churches, but that there were also many churches in steep decline and many churches that had lost any sort of a gospel presence. Now, certainly as we looked at these communities, there were faithful gospel preaching churches that were different than us on a number of issues. There were Presbyterian churches and Anglican churches and, um, you know, kind of really big mega churches, churches that didn't fit either our doctrinal convictions or philosophies of ministry. But we really couldn't make a good argument to say that we'd be putting a gospel light where there was no gospel light before. But what we did find is that just in this South Metro area, within like 10 minutes of driving from this location, we found about 17 churches that looked like they were about to close. So we began driving to them and meeting with the people leading those churches. And we were extremely discouraged to see that most of these churches knew that they were going to close and they were satisfied with closing. They were satisfied with burning through their financial resources and their property assets and eventually when their church closed, just giving it away to something or really as we talked to them, they had no plan for it. It was really discouraging to see churches that were once vibrant without any life at all. And then we came across Crystal Lake Road Baptist Church under the pastoral care of Phil Smith and finally found a church that was willing to take some risks necessary to see spiritual flourishing and health and vitality and viability once again. And, and we believed that for the, the health of the Twin Cities, we could better pour our time and resources into a dying church and, and see a church that was in decline and that had lost its gospel witness turn around and use its resources for Christ and his kingdom instead of starting a new church. And over time, other Christians caught that vision and committed to participating in this revitalization endeavor, even though it meant leaving well-established churches that they loved. Many of you are sitting in this room today. You left churches and relationships in order to see a dying church come to life again. So I believe that church revitalization is necessary because of the practical reason that there are dead churches, that there's a biblical pattern for it, and then that it's just the most strategic way to bring about gospel health in a particular region. Now, as you hear these things, you're, I think most of you probably agree with me. So if that's the case, why would I be preaching to the choir on this? I want to give you three reasons. First, we need to remain conscious of the rationale for our revitalization mission if we're going to be able to commit to it for the long haul. If we lose sight of the, the grounding for our mission, then when the challenges come on this revitaliz revitalization endeavor, then we won't be able to stick through it. So we've got to consciously be aware of the rationale for what we're doing. But then second, some of you have joined our church or are visiting our church and you haven't really realized what we're doing here. You, you maybe came across us and you had no idea about the history of our church and what's going on. We're really grateful that you've been sitting in here and joining with us and we want to tie you into the larger project that's been going on here. Then third, we've now hit a phase in our church's life where many things are going well. And compared to how things were going 
around like 2018, 2019, we could never have dreamed about how wonderful it would be. Um, we've gone through some unique stages of this effort. In 2020, well, in 2018 and 2019, we went through many phases where we thought that this church would just close its doors and that would be the best thing for, for this church. And then in 2020, we went through this COVID stage where we couldn't really meet all the time and we were uncertain whether our church would continue to exist. And then in late 2020, we took massive risks and took out a huge loan to be able to buy this property and to get out of our other property. And in 2020 to 2021, we spent all of our effort basically just remodeling this building. That's about all we did. We, we like staggered into church on Sunday morning and then Monday through Saturday, we were giving all of our spare time to remodeling a building. And in 2022, we transitioned into this building. We've been attempting to establish ourselves in this community, but basically in 2022 and 2023, we've just been trying to catch our breath after a, a long process. And now as we approach 2024, we need to renew our vision for church revitalization as we press forward to set in order what remains to be done, as we press forward to continue this revitalization effort because it isn't over. We need to press forward in this work. So for that to happen, I'm asking three things of you. First, I'm asking you to keep on keeping on. I'm so grateful for every person who's participated in this effort. And I could spend the rest of the day walking through our church membership list, talking about the unique contributions of every single person. Over the last three to five years, you have been unrelentingly faithful in your effort to see this church come to life. So I'm just asking you to keep pressing forward in that effort. Second, I'm asking you to pray that God would continue to send people to our assembly who will catch this vision for church revitalization. Certainly our aim is to grow our church primarily through reaching those who don't know Jesus already and by bringing people into this church who have no connection to church right now. But we also recognize that we need help in this effort in that we need other Christians to catch on to this vision, to stand in where there are gaps in our ministry efforts. So please pray that God would grow our church through conversions and through people who catch on to this vision and want to aid us in this effort. And then third, I'm asking you to remember that this revitalization is not only needed, but also that it's needed here and that it's not over yet. Don't think that we're done. It's not over just because we're in a new building or just because we've seen an improvement in our financial picture over the last few months or just because we've baptized people and seen people come to faith. By God's grace, we have made great strides, but our, our efforts are not done and the mission isn't over. We are not yet an established church. When we look at the churches in the Twin Cities, we're still one of the weakest links that needs to be strengthened so that the, the Twin Cities metro area will have a stronger church presence and gospel witness. So let's 
keep on keeping on. Let's pray and let's remember that our mission isn't done. All right. So we've considered the necessity of church revitalization. I now want to talk briefly about the process of revitalization. What goes into this? Well, there isn't a list of boxes to check that I can offer to you, but in Paul's letter to Titus, I think that we're given a picture of church revitalization that offers a bit of a process or a pattern for how church revitalization should be done or what it entails. Now, this is tough to list all of these things really succinctly. I preached a sermon series through Titus in the fall of 2020, and I would encourage you, if you want to think more about Titus, go there. I'm just going to give you the broad brush picture of what Paul commissioned Titus to do to see churches on the island of Crete that were in decline coming back to health. So in Titus 1, 8, Titus is given this commission to set in order what remained of the churches there. So the picture is that there were churches that were started on this island, but that they had been infiltrated with poor teaching, that there were poor relationships in the church, there was disunity, and there was lock, lack of gospel faithfulness. And Paul commissioned Titus to set in order what remained of those churches. And here are the four things that Paul instructed Titus to do. First, he instructed him to establish church leadership. He instructed him to establish healthy church leadership beginning with qualified pastors or elders. Second, he instructed Titus to bring about faithful biblical teaching. Church revitalization requires biblical teaching that results in Christian faithfulness and that addresses whatever theological error or spiritual unfaithfulness that was contributing to the spiritual decline of the church. Third, Paul instructed Titus to cultivate growth in the relationships of the Christian community on Crete. Church revitalization requires the cultivation of true Christian community that fosters cross-generational relationships and spiritual discipleship in all areas of life, resulting in gospel transformation in the lives of individuals and deep unity within the church. And then fourth, he instructed Titus to equip the church for missional engagement. Church revitalization requires that a church adopt a missional outward-facing orientation by equipping Christians to live gospel-shaped lives as the church relates well to outsiders and accomplishes good works that strengthens believers and serves non-Christians in the community. Now, to be clear, church revitalization means more than just checking off a box in each of these categories. They're not one-time tasks. They're descriptive of the life of a church and in the pattern of life that a church ought to adopt. And as we approach the church revitalization effort here, we adopted those categories and, and those ideas as we press forward. So what I want to do now is reflect on this process of church revitalization that's taken place over the last two to five years at this church. 
And as we go through each of these categories, if this were you know, a presidential State of the Union address, we would all stand up and just clap for the things that we liked and frown at all the things that we don't like that have happened. But instead, in our hearts, I think we can simply say, thanks be to God for everything that he's accomplished. I can't outline them all, though I would like to. But even as I was working through this, I was just amazed at what God has done in this assembly. So I'll walk through each category and just gesture towards some of what God has done in the category of church leadership. On September 16, 2019, Crystal Lake Baptist Church affirmed Josh Huber and me as pastors recognizing the need for pastoral leadership. Alongside the current pastor, Phil Smith, we pursued a change to the leadership structure of the church and the polity of the church to allow for a plurality of elders and a team approach to pastoral ministry. On, on January 3rd, 2021, the church affirmed Steve Aldridge is a lay pastor, recognizing our need for additional pastoral leadership. And most recently on December 10, 2024, we appointed Brian Cameron as a lay pastor. In these years, we've raised up deacons. There were zero deacons at the start of this revitalization effort. And Tim Havlick filled the really nebulous role of deacon when there was no one else standing in that role. And then we considered what the biblical picture of a deacon was and we reshaped that role. And it was further strengthened by Jenny Aldridge and Kate Downs. And now most recently by Kevin Bickford as we've appointed him to serve in that role. But the development of church leadership extends beyond elders and deacons. That we've initiated an elder development program and an internship where we're able to raise up seminarians to serve our church and to serve other churches. Benefited from the leadership of Richard Dahl in our men's ministry and from Kristen Molnix in our women's ministry. We've benefited from Ben Maurer, who's taken on the leadership of our music and who has led in so many of our services, not just through playing the guitar and singing, but through his regular prayers and exhortations along the way. And we've had many members who have stepped up into team lead roles throughout our building remodel process. And so many members who step into leadership roles that come and go as we face different challenges and ministry opportunities. I believe that God has radically transformed the leadership of this church and he's positioned us well to continue to grow. When it comes to the category of biblical teaching, we believe from the very start that spiritual growth will only happen through the spirit using the word of God to change our lives. We believe that the, it's the spirit that gives life through the word. And so we've given careful attention to our services. And we now have a morning service that's infused with scripture in direct readings of scripture, in our singing, in our preaching. And that's pictured in the sacraments or ordinances, in the Lord's Supper that we observe weekly, and in our baptisms. We thank God for the teaching that happens on Sunday morning and for the teaching that happens in other venues, through adult Bible classes, through our children's Bible class curriculum, for the men's and women's Bible studies that did not exist three years ago. 
through our church podcast and blog, and now this year with our special emphasis on reading through the New Testament together. God has allowed individuals in our church to pursue ongoing education to strengthen that preaching and teaching ministry. We thank God for what he's done to bring about biblical teaching and preaching when at this church, in, a re in reality, it suffered and floundered for a really long time. in the category of community growth, I think it's correct and true to say that a genuine community is being established here at Resurrection Church. True friendship, acts of service, and continuous care are expressed in the relationships that have been fostered in this church. And there are people who are part of this church now because there were members here who showed care and concern for them when they were in hardship or when they were sick. And even in this small community of Resurrection Church, I see members sharing in a variety of interests, learning new hobbies and skills and experiencing a holistic development that spans life's categories from physical fitness to parenting to playing chess and ping pong. There's a genuine community that's being developed here that goes beyond conversations that start and end with how was your week? There are deep relationships that are being formed here. There are relationships that are being formed that mutually encourage Christian faithfulness, that bring about accountability and correction. And a lot of this relational growth happens organically and naturally, but it also happens through formal structures in our church, through our home groups, through our worship together at pizza and praise, through our prayer days, through our family discussion forums. We've seen community growth in our finances as we've weathered challenging years. As we began our first year of this revitalization with a planned $45,000 deficit, where we were spending $45,000 more than we planned to see come in, to this past year where we've reduced the deficit to $7,000, and now to this coming year where we plan, by God's grace, to operate with a zero deficit budget. And all along the way, God's provided for our church financially in ways we could never predict. And I'm excited to talk about one of those that we have not yet talked about in our family discussion forum this afternoon. We've seen our church community grow through baptism and through new members who have connected to us who were not meaningfully connected to a church prior to coming here and through members who gave up deep connections to churches to see this church thrive. And in our growth as a community, we've worked towards deep unity as we've wrestled through doctrinal difference and, and differences in matters of conscience as we've considered that directly in our Bible class on that issue and in our personal lives as we rub up against each other and butt heads and step on each other's toes and figure out how it is that we can have unity without demanding uniformity and how we can have deep love and agreement and a sharing in the mind of Christ despite differences of preferences. When it comes to our missional engagement, we've worked to cultivate a heart for outsiders and a heart for this community. 
We've worked to see a transformation in this church that was not connected to the Burnsville and South Metro area to one that cares deeply for the people who live here. We've worked to cultivate a demeanor of welcome that didn't really exist in this church. The first day that I visited this church in 2018, I was not greeted by a single person or welcomed once. The room felt ice cold. And in fact, to have a conversation with someone, I had to get up and scuffle into a pew and talk to somebody. But now, I'm happy to hear from nearly every single person who visits this church that they were warmly welcomed. And in fact, as recently as last week, a, a guest told me, this is the friendliest church that I've ever been to. And I hear that time and time again. I couldn't be happier about that. I'm grateful for people like Richard and Julie Dahl who have developed an almost ninja-like ability to hop from one side of the room to the other in a blink of an eye as soon as the benediction is said to greet new members. And I'm thankful for people like Tim Havlick, whose smile welcomes everybody into this church. And for Ruth Cameron, whose warm laugh fills the room. For people like the Bickfords, who manage somehow to know where all of their kids are and have a meaningful conversation with someone who's visiting our church. For the Harmon family, who changed their afternoon schedule at the drop of a hat to welcome a family into their home that they had never met before but had some tangential connection to. I'm grateful that God is making us a loving and warm and welcoming church. And I pray that we'll continue to grow in that. We've sought to develop missional engagement through clarifying our church's mission statement to care not only about evangelism and just preaching the gospel, but also about embodying the gospel and serving those who have needs in our community. We've revised our mission statement to include a call both to serve our neighbors and to share the good news about King Jesus. Sometimes we try to do this through at the same time through outreach events like our Christmas outreach or through our interaction with the homeless or people who are drawn to our church. Sometimes we just try to establish a presence in our community like through our Summerfest outreach. And sometimes we just try to serve like when we packed backpacks for Vista View Elementary School or when we cleaned the street out there most recently, we've pursued missional engagement by supporting the Hennigan family as Mel served here as a missionary in residence. As we worked to bring that parsonage up to snuff so that they could live in it for free, so they could prepare to go to Guam and plant a church. And as we gave them money and continued to do so, and as we supported them by encouraging members here to go, and as we saw one of our most valued members, Deb, go with them. And now as we've tried to shoulder all of the responsibilities that she had taken on as part of this church, I'm happy to report that Gospel Life with the Hennigans and Deb on this Sunday celebrated their first baptism as we got pictures of Mel in a straw hat standing in the ocean baptizing an individual. God has used Resurrection Church with a renewed commitment to missional engagement to see actual ministry happen through service and evangelism. 
We've seen it as members of our church have participated in ministry trips and outreach efforts. With Julie Rohr, as she went to Belize in partnership with Grace Church. And Jenny Aldridge, as she's gone on various veterinary mission trips. With Steve Aldridge, as he went to teach pastors with Training Leaders International in South America with Janice Huber, with her regular visits to Japan and virtually every single day of her life as she is basically a missionary wherever she goes. With the Cameron family inviting neighbors into their home for the holidays. Other ministry endeavors could be listed as well. But let's praise God that there was once a church that was not missionally engaged. And now with whatever faltering steps we have, there's something about us that wants this, even when we don't succeed like we'd like to. As part of our missional engagement orientation, we took a risk to replant, to relocate to this building. In our, when we were in the old building, we gave a lot of effort to spruce the place up there. We rearranged, we painted, we decorated, we hung shiplap because that's necessary for revitalization. It's not really, but you might think so based on every you know, marketing thing there is out there. Um, we worked to make that old building as welcoming as possible. And then we took on significant risks to purchase and remodel this national camera exchange. And you gave up time and energy and money to see it happen so that we could sit here now. I'm grateful for people like Dale Heinrichs and Matthew Wiedemann, who all through the year work hard to keep the exterior of our building and our grounds presentable so that we can have a welcoming presence and we can show that we care about our neighborhood. And then we renamed to Resurrection Church to push us forward in our engagement with non-Christians in part to gesture toward our hope to see this once dying church resurrected to new life, but also to provide an easy entryway into sharing our hope in the resurrection of Jesus as we talk with our neighbors about our involvement at Resurrection Church. And as we wear our swag, those great t-shirts that say Resurrection Church on them. And as we hand out flyers, as soon as you talk about the church that you're a part of, you have an opportunity to talk, to talk about the resurrection of the Christ who died for our sins so that we could have new life. Thanks be to God for all of this. And make no mistake, none of it has come easy. And none of it has been without sacrifice. And none of it has been without failure along the way. If I wanted to be more of a downer, I would have made a list of all the things I wish we could just simply do over, that we could have done better. But thanks be to God for all that has been done. Let's pray that God would continue to bring new life to Resurrection Church. So what's in our future? God has accomplished a lot in this church. He has used you to bring it about. But what's the future of the revitalization effort at Resurrection Church? I want to walk through these four categories briefly, and we'll revisit many of these items in the future sermon series, so I won't belabor it here. Some of these items will show up again in our family discussion forum. But first, let's talk about our church leadership. 
We need to continue to develop leaders through the formal programs that we have, like our internship and our elder development program. We need to raise up more deacons to serve in this church, but our immediate focus, I believe, needs to be on three categories of development when it comes to our church leadership. First, we need to continue to support Kristen Molnix in her role as our women's ministry director. Kristen's done a fantastic job, and she's been pursuing her own development in this role through courses and conferences and reading. And I think we need to get behind Kristen and support her as she grows in her leadership and ministry abilities. The reality is that the majority of people in our church are women, and the majority of individuals who reach out to our church for counseling and help are women, and we need strong woman leadership in our church to be able to serve them in ways that a male pastor simply cannot, and in ways that it simply would not be appropriate for a male pastor to have ongoing counseling and ministry roles with women. We're grateful for Kristen stepping into this, and we need to encourage and support her development and work to see this strengthened. Second, we need to identify and develop our children's ministry leadership. We need to identify a children's ministry director. I am so grateful for everyone who's filled in the gaps along the way. I'm especially grateful for Marilyn Havlick, who has done so much and who's on the ready to fill in whenever somebody is sick. And I'm grateful for Allie Maurer, who helped us get the nursery going and who helped us with our child protection program. And for Josh Huber, who's put a lot of work into our children's ministry. At the same time, our children's ministry remains one of the most underdeveloped ministries of our church. And that's understandable because when this revitalization effort started, guess how many children we had to minister to? Zero, a big goose egg. Elias Huber was the first child in our church. And now that kid can walk and run and talk and do things. He's a, he's a person. And, and now we have more children here. And we need to shore up our children's ministry and develop that as we grow as a church, not only to serve the children who are already here, but to position us to receive families and to serve them well. So let's be praying that this year, God would either bring a faithful, mature Christian with a heart for children's ministry to our church, or that he would instill that in one of us so that we can strategically grow and develop our children's ministry. Third, our church leadership is tied to our formal church structure, what we refer to as our church polity. And although we've made many practical changes to our structure and even constitutional revisions, this next phase of revitalization requires that we give focus to what we might call the non-for-profit side of our church to our HR development. I'm thankful for this committee that's working to put policies into place and to AJ who's working with us to put these financial policies into place. And, and as we position ourselves to reincorporate, to officially reincorporate as Resurrection Church and not merely to be doing business as Resurrection Church. 
related to this reincorporation process is our consideration and evaluation of membership in the Evangelical Free Church of America. Our denominational affiliation ties into this, and we aim to make a decision on this later this spring, but there's still effort that needs to be poured into that. So as we consider our future revitalization effort when it comes to church leadership, Let's pray and work towards strengthening our women's ministry director, identifying children's ministry director, and strengthening that ministry, and then pursuing our reincorporation and denominational affiliation. Second, in the category of biblical teaching, we need to continue applying focused effort on developing preachers and teachers, and especially children's Bible class teachers. I'm grateful again for those who are participating in this area. And we need to continue to support and develop and grow those who are involved in that area. Again, it's one of our most underdeveloped ministries. We need to come up with better processes for developing and training those who are involved in that ministry. In the area of growth in our Christian community, I'm really grateful for what we're seeing. So I simply now just want to encourage three areas of development. We'll consider some of these again in future sermons. First, I want to encourage you to take advantage of the formal opportunities for growth in Christian community that our church offers. Whether that's in our home groups or our family discussion forums or pizza and prayer nights or prayer days, um, I encourage you to tie into those especially tie into home groups in our family discussion forums where you're able to formally connect to the life in the ministry of this church. Second, I want to encourage you to pursue relationships informally, to intentionally deepen relationships with people in this congregation. That will happen just by connecting to our formal ministries and our, these formal opportunities, but it will happen best if you do it on your own, if you take the initiative to connect with other people. Have them over for a meal. Go out for a meal. Do activities together. Do whatever it takes to spend time with one another and develop comfortability with one another so that you can grow deeper, growing as Christians, Christian disciples. I recognize that this is costly. It takes time. It takes working through logistics and family challenges. But I want to propose that if you merely show up on Sunday, while I hope that you will be fed and shaped and strengthened, without deep relationships in this church, you will miss out on the possibility of a deeper flourishing Christian life. Because our Christian life is more than just knowing things about God or even going about service activities. It's about growing together as Christian disciples as part of the body of Christ. Third, Let's pray on our own and together that God would grow our church spiritually, relationally, financially, and numerically through people coming to our assembly who are simply in need of a church home and through people in other churches who might catch a vision for church revitalization and come here to help us grow and strengthen this church as part of the larger project of growing and strengthening churches in the Twin Cities. In the category of missional engagement, I'll simply say 
that we need to work to continue to be more connected to our local community in the South Metro. We'll talk about this more in a few weeks, but we must purposefully and persistently connect with our neighborhoods and with our local community. One of the ways that we're working to do this is by changing our mindset, even in the way that we do our church calendar. Previously, we never took into consideration what events were going on in Burnsville. And then when we started to look at that, we realized that we were scheduling events on all the same days that Burnsville was doing free community events that we should be showing up to and participating in to connect with the non-Christians in our neighborhoods. So we as church leaders are trying to attend to the city calendar here in Burnsville, but I'd encourage you to look at the city calendar for your neighborhood or for Burnsville and work to show up at those things and get to know the people in your city. Whether that's running in the 5K like Ben and Kate and I were able to do where we connected with non-Christians that we never otherwise would have talked to talk to, or showing up at your city council meeting to know what's going on, or going to your neighborhood night to unite, whatever it takes. Connect with non-Christians in your neighborhood and in our city. Drive around our, our area and see what residential communities even exist. Get to know the fact that there's the Felix apartment homes where there are individuals who are particularly poor and who probably are learning English for the first time, who are not well-connected, who could be served by our church. And then look down the street at the senior apartment housing and notice how there are residential neighborhoods with single-family homes scattered all around these businesses that surround us. Let's grow in really knowing our area and making ourselves available to serve these people and to share the good news about King Jesus with them. I'm grateful for what God has done at this church as we have pursued spiritual health in this revitalization and replanting effort. And as we enter into 2024, let's appeal to God to continue to show his grace to us and let's make a commitment to exercise faithful stewardship of what God has already done. Let's press forward in these next few weeks as we go through this mission refresh sermon series to recommit ourselves to our mission, to glorify our triune God, to grow as followers of Christ, and to go into our community serving our neighbors and sharing the good news about King Jesus. Let's pray for God's help in this together. I'll pray for the food as well. Um, I suppose we'll sing, we'll partake of communion, and then following the benediction, we'll head right upstairs, go through the line, and we'll begin to eat as we go into this next phase of considering our life as a church. God, we are so grateful as we reflect on what you have done in this assembly over the last five years, and in particular over the last two years as we've been in this building. We pray that you would continue to use us to grow your kingdom and to share the gospel and to grow in fidelity to you and in relationship with you and one another. We recognize ultimately that it is not us who is doing this, but it is Christ who is doing this through us. So we pray that we, you would use us to the praise of your glory. 
We pray that as we go into this unique sermon series that we would consciously reflect on our mission and recommit ourselves to it. And that through our dedication of ourselves to you, you would respond to us and you would show us your grace and your great work in this assembly. We thank you for the meal that we'll enjoy together as we celebrate your kindness to us in this gift from Friendship Church. And we pray that we would be good stewards of it and that we would become a church that can be entrusted with all sorts of assets because people know that we'll put it to use for your glory and not just for our own comfort. And as we come to the table in a few moments, would you remind us of the Christ who gave up everything so that we could have life? And would you allow us to be the kind of people who, like Jesus, will give up ourselves to bring true life to others? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.